I actually was just at a meeting. I actually had a prophetic word, I think it was from Georgina. It was about a week and a half ago about international ministry opening up. And literally, it was a week and a half ago that I got invited to a pastor's house to meet with two pastors from Europe. And, um, and they go, man, would you come over? Would you come and minister in Europe? I got this funny story about, um, about this guy, actually. <laughs> He, um, he's a great guy, great couple, uh, Matisse and Magdalena from a church in Slovenia. And um, he was saying that he was here. He arrived in uh, Nelson about t- nearly two weeks ago. I'm catching it again tomorrow morning. But he said when he got to Nelson, he was at another pastor's house in the city. And they gave him, they said, look, you're here. You can just have, um, our, you know, help yourself to the food. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't worry about, just help yourself to the food. Our house, your house, my, you know, my castle, your castle. And he goes, fine. He got up in the morning. He said, man, he was just so hungry. He'd been traveling. So he went to the fridge. He opened up the fridge and he saw a salami. And he just thought, ah, I love this Europe. Salami. And New Zealand salami. And, you know, he's very expressive. He pulls out the salami and he put, it's got this German word written on it. And he slices this off and he says, it looks different to Europe salami. But salami is New Zealand meat, beautiful meat. So he slices it and he, and he starts eating it. He goes, it doesn't quite taste like salami, but this is New Zealand meat. And his wife comes out and goes, Matisse, you're eating dog food. <laughs> he literally, because he said it was such a big salami, and he's slicing off dog food. And he was like eating it, you know. <laughs> I said to him, I said, dude, I'm totally going to use that for like ages now. And when I go over there and preach, I'm going to use that as well. Um, yeah, that's so good. Let's get into the message today. Today, I want to talk about restoring of the fathers and mothers in faith. That's what I want to talk about today. You're all sons and daughters of God. When you receive Christ, you actually uh, now are a, a son and a daughter of God. But he wants you to grow to a mother and a father in the faith. Amen? Yeah. You know, just like in the natural, you are sons and daughters of someone. You are sons and daughters of someone. Someone birthed you into the world. You've all got a mom and a dad. It doesn't matter what your relationship was with them. It doesn't matter what happened. In some respects, I'm saying you will have one. And you became sons and daughters. And then what happened was you went through life and matured, and then you grow to becoming mothers and fathers yourself oftentimes. I know there's struggles for people in that area, and I'm not here to talk about that right now, but I'm just saying the road for maturity looks a bit like that in the faith as well. Amen? Okay? That's cool. And so there's a scripture I'm just going to preach out of this morning. It's here. And um, well, one more. Yeah, that was the, that's the title of the message. Look at that. Isn't that really quite fashionable, what I've done? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> here's the scripture I've got there. 1 Corinthians 4.15 from the Amplified Version says this, For even if you were to have 10,000 teachers to guide you in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers, you do not have many mothers. And that which is this. This is the explanation of what a father and a mother is. It's those who led you to Christ and assumed responsibility for you. They didn't just try and march you to the doors of the church and kick you in there and walk off. They didn't try to uh, just turn their back. They, They said, you know what? I love Christ. He's done a work in my life and I want you to love Christ and I'm gonna bring you to the house and I'm going to, I'm gonna assume responsibility for you because that's what a father would do. That's what a mother would do. And the Apostle Paul goes on to say, he goes, for in Christ Jesus, I fathered you. I fathered you, he was speaking to the Corinthian church, through the gospel. What an incredible word. And we we can read that and we can start to go, wow, is this something I'm doing or is this something I need to aspire to? You know, is this something I'm doing? Do I have a heart for this? Or is this something that I need to ask God to give me a heart for? Do you, you 
Let's just pray, shall we? Father God, I thank you that you are the steward of our hearts, but to allow us, uh, you into our hearts, we have to give you permission. So Father, I pray for a divine permission to fall across this room today. I pray that everyone here just to give permission to the Lord to speak to your heart today, to take you from a place of sons and daughters to a place of mothers and fathers, that the mother and father spirit rise up in this house and journey us even into knowing what a son or a daughter is in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen, I am. Hey, just while I remember too, got these really snazzy flyers. Actually, Wes did these up for me. Look at these. Look at they open out like that. Look, they got two sides. They're really cool. So, um, just so you guys know, um, as as a, I'm a partnered minister. Partnered minister means that um, I don't work full time. I work part time. I, t- I took a faith step last year and just really just got out and uh, I, I resigned my position from work and I, I, I do another position but in part time and the rest of my finance comes from people who give to the work I do. And that's what this flyer is about. So um, those who partner with a ministry and if you're not partnering with an evangelistic ministry that is seeing people touched and souls saved in community, please consider this one. Please, the flyers are just up the back. Just grab one and people might go, oh, okay, what do you, what do you want a week? You know, I've got a number of $5 a week givers. I've got some $10 a week givers. I don't talk about money much, but sometimes every now and at the start of the year, I just need to do a little bit of that. So please grab one of these. Um, sometimes people give a one-off donation and it helps the work. And this is, I, I run a charitable trust uh, which Wes is on the trust board of that, as is Anton. And so all your giving that comes in is managed well, and also what happens is, is that you can get a third back at the end of the year. So it's just like giving at church, okay? Is that cool? That's all I'll say, so grab one of those. They're really flashy looking. They're up on the back table there. Please grab one on the way out. And if you want to be part of... Um, uh, the monthly or so emails, or every six weeks I send out an update, just a very brief update about what has happened through the month. Please, just my number's on there. Just text me saying, yeah, I want to be on your update. Text me your um, email address, and we'll pop you on there. Is that cool? That's awesome. All righty, uh, you know, so I want to share a story from the street. This happened last week. To give you the nature of moving in the Father, and just to really highlight something that takes place when you actually go beyond yourself. So it was um, maybe not last Friday, but the Friday before, I was out, it was Anton and I were out on the street, we went out with Charles Parker, some of you know Charles, um, he, was a lot, he was with our church for a number of years, he's with our Hope Church out at Ransau Road, I think at the moment, great guy, he came in, and we went out on the street to minister. So this is what happened, just to give you some idea about how God unfolds things. So I said to Charles, look, do you have any clues about where we should go? He says, well, I got the church steps and a couple of people we're going to talk to there. And he said, I also got someone with a bad knee. I, okay, that's cool. Well, I had um, um, a businessman in a, in a blue shirt in a park having lunch, maybe having a coffee. And I thought it was Anzac Park. So that's, that was our whole story, right? Got that picture? So we jump in our car, we go to head off, we quickly jump out to have an encounter, and then we headed on up to the church steps. So we headed up to the church steps, and when we got up there, um, I said to Charles, where do you want to go, man? He goes, I know, just keep walking, I feel like it's going to be around here somewhere. So we went wandering up, and we come across this um, couple, they would have been in their late 50s, early 60s, got big long grey beard, Uh, she was dressed, they looked like sort of almost like they were almost businessy type people, and we went up and we explained what we were doing, and they said, well, you know, we're Christians too. We're Christians. I said, oh, cool, that's awesome. We're all Christians then. That's brilliant. What are we going to do now? No, and um, so um, we just, and they said, but you know what we're doing? They said, we are part of the team that is appointing the new bishop for Nelson. Uh, up at the, and, they, and we said, man, can we pray with you? Because this is clearly a divine encounter right now. 
And so we got to prophesy over this couple um, who were appointing the new bishop for the city, which is a huge thing, you know, massive thing. And like, they were totally stoked and touched. We were totally stoked and touched. And we went dancing off down the road. And... Um, so then we come to the next encounter, which there was a couple of people doing capoeira. I don't know if, if you know what capoeira is. It's like Brazilian dance fighting. I'll get Jimmy up here just to demonstrate that. <laughs> and, uh, and they, were, they were rolling around, and I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure that's Brazilian street fighting, you know. <laughs> If you know what I mean, and um, so and they were and I and while we were waiting for them to do what they were doing, and um, this guy yells out, "Can I help you?" And I thought, well, "There's a divine encounter right there. Whoever is going to tell a bunch of evangelists, can I help you?" So, so we turn around and there's these two young guys. So we ministered to them, and Charles goes, "Oh, you guys don't have a bad knee, do you?" And this guy goes, "Actually, I really do." He couldn't see it. He had to ask him, and so we got to pray for him. Pretty cool, right? So then we go to the next uh, appointment, which was to Anzac Park. We got there. There was a businessman leaning on a tree, having his lunch, blue shirt. But when I got there, I thought, he's not the encounter. He was the reason that we went there. He got our feet into the park. He got us in that direction. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some clues are the person, some are just to get you to a place. Okay? And so we wandered over. I said, this isn't the guy, but we're here. We're honoring. We know we're in the right place. And there was a young guy on the ground over there, probably in his uh, mid-20s, maybe, yeah, maybe late 20s. And we went over to him. So we just sat down. He seemed pretty cool and together. And we started to explain what we were doing, and we started to pray for him. And as we started to talk, because the prophetic opens up the heart, right? Mm -hmm. Prophetic opens the heart. He says, man, last year, he said, my father uh, took his own life. My father took his own life. And we said, man, that's, that's, we're, we're so sorry to hear that, man. Can we pray with you? And he says, yes, yeah, you can actually. So we prayed with him. And, um, and um, as, uh, as, as we were praying, I got this word that the Lord said to me very clearly. This young man is thinking of going the way of his father. You know? And so um, that was really, that's hard. And I said to him, I, I didn't say it quite that way, but I just said to him, man, you've been thinking about, you know, this life is too hard, you're going to end this life. And as soon as I said that in the prophetic word, his eyes just welled up, you know. Anton was there, he saw what happened, he just, his eyes just welled up and so he couldn't hold it back. And then Anton started filling him with words of hope. I started to fill him up with words. So Charles was filling up with words of hope, you know. And I'm texting him, he's still alive today. But if we didn't go beyond ourselves to father him, would he actually be here today? Yeah. I can tell you story after story after story about people that have come close to taking their life or doing something dumb, and we've been interjected into their life. Yeah. You know, I, I tell you so many stories. You know, we have all been called, friends, to reveal the Father. That was part of Jesus' ministry, was the key of his ministry, to reveal the Father. The Philip evangelist said, show us the Father. And he said, when you see me, you've seen the Father. And when you are in community as you, you are expected, when people look at you, they are meant to catch a, just a reflection of Christ. I, I, like, what, what was that? What, what, what happened just there? You know, I say to people this, you are, it was Bill Johnson who said, it's not your assignment to go to heaven. Many Christians think that I've received Christ, that's my assignment. No, that's your destiny. You know, it's your assignment to bring heaven to this place. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So don't get wound up in this world. If you get wound up in this world, then you won't bring that kingdom in. You'll just duplicate this one. 
You'll become a duplicator of this world and you'll release that to everybody. You'll complain about the same things they complain about. You'll pick up the same news and do the same thing. When I watch the news at night, I'm praying for the exact opposite to happen. I'm not in there charging up going, oh, well, isn't that prime minister? I'm not interested in what the world is doing. I'm interested in what the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is doing over people's lives. And so should we be. That world to this world. But sometimes something can happen to us that can stand in the way of us really understanding who we are as sons and daughters. An impart can take place. Often it can be in our own families, did you know? Often it can be. You know, we, maybe your mother or father, maybe you didn't really know them that well. Maybe, uh, maybe you had an abusive parent, a father, maybe. Maybe even in church, you had a father and mother in the house that just didn't treat you well. And, and uh, fortunately, we have awesome pastors, by the way. We have awesome pastors, so we, you know. But yet maybe that happened to you. And so maybe you see God as a harsh disciplinarian or just not approachable. Maybe, maybe um, your father or mother figure, maybe they weren't around enough. Maybe they were absent when you really needed them. And so now maybe for you, you view God as just, just distant, hard to know. Maybe you've got to try and please God just to, just to, just to have him in your life. Well, maybe. Maybe your parents are pushovers, so for you God's just this easygoing, crazy-ass guy that's just really loose. But maybe for you, your family was emotionally disconnected. And so our own hearts can become hardened to protect our heart, but in that same time, we become cold towards God and his needs of bringing that kingdom into this world. I don't know if I'm speaking to anyone this morning. But there's these things that stand in the way of you taking hold of your sonship and your daughtership and being able to then grow from that into fathers and mothers in the faith. Is that making sense? There's a scripture, if you've got a Bible verse, maybe we could close that back door if someone wants to crank it shut. I hear kids screaming. They're either being tortured or they're having a lot of fun. That's cool. Jesus said, don't hinder the children. So I don't hindering them. They can keep screaming and having good fun. I just didn't want it to interrupt what we're doing here today. Uh, if we go, turn your Bible to Luke 15. If you've got phones, pick them up and just jump on to Google. Because uh, Google knows, I reckon Google must be saved. Because it like knows everything, man. Google, I say this to people on the street when I meet them. They sometimes have a trouble with the omnipresence of God. Like he is everywhere all at once. And I say, hey, have you got a phone? Yeah. Hey, can you go on Google for me? They go, yeah. I said, isn't it interesting how Google is everywhere all at once? In this room right now, Google is in here, but we can't see it. Every bit of information in the world you could ever want is floating in this room right now, but I'm not hitting it because that's the omnipresence of Google. And... Uh, God is omnipresent. That is probably a really bad teaching, but it actually <laughs> works really well for me. <laughs> I'm going to share a story. This is called The Prodigal Son. It really should be called The Loving Father, the story of the loving father, but it's often called The Parable of, um, uh, of, the, of the Prodigal Son, and it's attached to two other stories. One of them is The Parable of Lost Corn and The Parable of Lost Sheep, and there's something very dynamic about these three stories, but I want to share from this one today. Now, I'm not going to read from this word to word. I'm going to give you Alistair's paraphrased version. That's right. The best I can give you here. So here we go. It says this. It says, a certain man had two sons. 
And it doesn't matter, ladies, you're thinking, oh, that puts me out of the picture. No, whenever you hear the word father or sons in the Bible, he's referring to humanity. He's referring to us as a people. And um, understand that I have to be okay with being known as the bride of Christ, as a man, you know. So you have to, woman, you have to be okay to be known as fathers and sons, okay? It's okay. It's all good. We're okay with it. We're good with it. Okay, it says this, the younger of them said to his father, basically, I've had enough of living in this household. Um, give me my share of the estate and I'm out of here. And his father basically said, okay. I don't think I'd say that to my son, but anyway, this father did. He's an amazing father. And he said, give me all that uh, falls to me. So he divided their livelihood, and a few days after, he left. He left, and he ran off. It doesn't say where. He might have gone to Auckland or something. He might have gone up to the party scene up there. He did a bit of meth. He did a bit of um, did some serious drugs. He got himself really, really heavily tattooed up with some, um, with some really gnarly skulls and, and crossbones all over his chest. And then what happens? He bought himself a Ferrari, and he went out with some, and, and, and partied, basically just went crazy. That's what it says in my Bible, anyway. <laughs> Said he, he, he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And then when he had spent it all, when he had burned it out, when he went back to that, I actually heard about that. A guy won lotto, won $250,000 in lotto, and he just basically went on a party for 18 months, and he went back to the money machine, and it said declined. That's what the prodigal son did here. He went back to the money machine, and it said declined. Oh no, party over. Wow, what am I gonna do now? So it said that he hired himself to a, la- a citizen of that land. And that man sent him out to work with the pigs. Now, I'm sorry if you're a pig farmer here or you uh, with pigs. I mean, no offense. But in those days, pigs were like really not good, okay? There was a whole holiness thing around them. But he was sent to feed the pigs and do what he had to do there. And he longed just to have some of the pods that the, the pigs were eating, but, but no one gave him anything. And, um, but then it says this. He said, then he came to himself. Everyone say, came to himself. I'm going to tell you something. If you want to start to take hold of your sonship, and if you want to grow as mothers and fathers, there's a point where you have to come to yourself. You have to sort of get in your pig trough, and you're going, I'm angry about my marriage. I'm angry about my life. I'm angry about church. I'm angry about something. It's like, okay, you've been in the pig trough for a while now. It's time to come to your senses. Come to your senses. I will arise, he said. That's a great start. I'll get out of the pig trough. That's a good start. I've been living in there a long time now. I'm going to get out of the pig trough, slop it off, you know, and I'm going to go to my father because my servants, they had plenty to eat. So he goes back to his father's house and he wanders, but in his head, he's thinking, I am just going to apologize and just, just put the servant's garb on me because I'm not worthy of anything more. And it says here that his father sees him a long way off and he, he, what? he doesn't yell at him. He doesn't call the servants together and point and say, would you look at that idiot? I told you he was going to come back. No, he says he ran to him. He ran, and in that culture, did you know for wise men to run, especially rabbis, teachers, it was not seemly. He was breaking a lot of cultural rules just to run. <laughs> yeah, I know, tell me about it. Anyway, he runs, and he throws himself on his child. It says he threw his neck on his neck, and the son is trying to blurt out, I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm just worthy to be the pigs and slops, man. That's all I'm worthy of, because that's how he sees himself, because that's what the world says you are. But his son, his father, lives from another world. And his father rips off his garment, throws it round his back, takes the sandals off his feet and puts it on his son's feet, takes the ring off his finger and puts it on his son's finger. And then he yells out, hey, kill the fattened calf because my son is lost and he's what he's now found. He's found. He is found. 
So they have a roaring great party. And then the older brother, there's another dude in the house. The older brother, two sons, remember? And says the older brother was out in the field tending to the flocks and he came back and he heard this raucous, like he'd never heard a raucous before. I've never heard this. What's this? Is there a wedding? I didn't know about a wedding. Weddings are like told months in advance. What's this all about? The servant goes, well, it's your brother. He has returned to us and we're celebrating. And the brother gets absolutely hacked off and he throws his toys out of the cot and he's off. And his father comes out and he says, what are you, what are you doing, son? What are you, what are you doing? Son, by the way, son, he's calling him son, but he's not, is he acting like a son? No, because he doesn't know his father's heart. He's not acting like a son. He's acting like what? He's acting like the, the world. Thinking about myself, not what's happening in there, why that is happening. He says, son, he says, he goes, you, you'd never even given me a dirty old goat that I might stew up with my friends just to make merry, and yet you kill the fattened calf for him? He's been out buying Ferraris in Auckland doing meth, getting himself tattooed up with skull and crossbones all over his chest. Nothing wrong, tattoos are awesome, by the way. Honey's over here. <laughs> I'm just saying that's how the world thinks, yeah? But anyway, and, and it's like, um, 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 I've got tattoo myself, by the way, just if you're worried about that. And, um, and uh, he's, um, he's, uh, he's getting grumpy. And the father goes, whoa, son, everything I have is yours. Yeah. Everything. He's, he's like, he could have had the party all along. He said, but it is good for us to celebrate for my son was lost and now he is what? Found. God wants you to be found. But you've got to get out of the pig trough. We've got to, we've got to make that journey back to the father. And that's what today's about. You know, something here is both these sons, they were in the house, yet both these sons were disconnected from the father, weren't they? They were both disconnected. Therefore, because they were disconnected, even though they were sons, they couldn't make the journey to being fathers, let alone to really be great sons. They couldn't understand his true heart toward them. You know, one became disconnected and became religious, so he stayed in the house, but for him it was all about rules and regulations and observance of the right rights and all this stuff, really. But in, but in, in, in essence, he was creating fear in himself. He was afraid to talk to the father. He was afraid to ask for that party. Can I have a fattened calf? All along, the father was saying, you don't have as many as you want. But that's not the way religion thinks. And the other became disconnected and he became rebellious. He ran off. And you know, there's this psychological term that happens in life, in the natural, when a teenager decides that I'm not hanging out here anymore. I've had enough. I know better. It's, you know, it's called defensive disengagement. Has anyone heard that term? Defensive disengagement. It's where somebody decides they're in your house and they decide, well, you're not, you're not parenting me anymore. I, I, I've got it together. Therefore, I will live here, but you're not my parent. So I defensively disengage from you and therefore you have no right to speak into my life. And that was these two sons. They had defensively disengaged. You know, in the natural, I meet people on the street every week, sometimes every day. And they might say, I don't really need God. But then I meet a young man in the park who's about to take his life or considering it. And he might be saying, I don't really need God. But their actions are saying, man, I desperately need a father. I reckon you could do a survey today of people who believe in God or Christians or whatever, and you get one result. But you give them five minutes with me and Anton out on the street prophesying over them, and I bet you get a different answer. 
Because we met, we met a guy outside the church doors here on a skateboard. We stopped him. You remember this guy? We prayed, prophesied over him. It was five minutes, nothing more. And we left him. We said, see, man, he ran after us, both me and Anton, another guy was with us, with his friend in the hand, running, dragging, come over here. And, so, and we were like, oh, dude, how are you going? He said, pray for my friend like you prayed for me. Because he, what did he, feel? he felt the love of the Father. He felt the love of the Father. And, um, and this friend was a, I think he was a homosexual guy, wasn't he? He, was a, he, he said he was, um, he was trans, or something like that, you know. Weird stuff like that, yeah, yeah. But God loves him, he doesn't want him doing that stuff, but, but, but that doesn't stop us loving him, you know what I'm saying? And so I was loving him. So we just started to pray for him, and he goes, oh, I'm a bit of an atheist, and I'm not really into all this, and we said, that's cool. And we just started to prophesy over him, and he had a sore wrist, and I think Anton prayed, and the wrist pain went instantly. And, um, and then halfway through the conversation, he's going, actually, I, I sort of do believe in this stuff, and he literally ch- he changed his faith in the middle of the conversation. Behold, I knew you were an atheist, but now you're what? What I'm saying is, is that when they experience that world through you, all of a sudden what they're saying and what they're going to put on a, some sort of form about who they are changes too. They just need sons and daughters to raise up in their fatherhood and motherhood. To not be afraid that if somebody says no to you or is not interested or gets angry, it's like I'm not interested in your anger because my love for you is stronger than your hatred of me. That's it. That's when I go out on the street. Sometimes I get frightened. People scare me. I'm not really that gung-ho. I know I look it. I know I sound like it. But when I get out there, Anton will tell you, some people really freak me out, especially businessmen in like their 50s. You know, I don't, oh. <laughs> don't know what it is about businessmen in their 50s. Anyway, but sometimes I'll just go and approach one. I'll go, hey, man, how you going? And uh, I sound like a teenager. Uh, my voice is breaking. But because... God loves you, and because he loves you, my heart is being turned towards you. I love you, and they might hate me, but I love you more than you hate me. (laughs) Because love outdoes hate every time, because my Bible says that mercy is greater than judgment. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You know, but you see, instead of you growing as mothers and fathers and sons and daughters, there's something that happens when you defensively disengage, when you don't allow the fathering in the house to happen to you, when you say, no, what, I'm going to live as the world here, thank you very much. I know what is best for my life, and, and d- disconnect with God. What happens is this. There's a term. It was very big in the church about eight years ago. Um, it's a term called orphans. You know what an orphan is? It's an orphan without a mother or father. Or it doesn't have to be a physical father. It doesn't have to be the biological mum and dad, but without someone who loves them. Where is home? You know, I've adopted a, a child. You know, you know that about our family, but where is, where is family? Family is where the love is. Hmm? Fathering is where the love is. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not, about, um, it's not about the sperm donation that was made. I'm sorry if that offends anybody, but I'm on the street. That's how I talk. But some people say, well, that's the fault. Yeah, you had an earthly father. Yeah, he carried the seed that created you, but he may not be around. But there is people in the house that God is saying, I want you to raise up to be a father for these people. I want you to be a father and a mother. But it starts with being a son and a daughter first. And then when you can really get the grasp of that, then you can start to grow as a mother and the father. I want to run that home group. I want to run that life group. I don't know why, but there's something about it. I want to be a part of community because I want to raise up into sonship. You know, we were created in the image of God, but what happens with orphans, the dysfunctional part is they don't grow in the image of God. They grow in the image of themselves or some other worldly picture that they see themselves as. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I've got some worldly pictures here, by the way. So this person here, um, 
he's, um, he's, he, he's trying to be a tomato. A tomato. So he's, that's, I've given up on life. I'm not a human. I'm now a tomato. I'm a tomato. That's cool. These are pictures. Anyone listening on podcasts? I've got some pictures here as a dude dressed as a tomato. Um, this guy here, this is real. He literally, this guy, there's a whole group of people that live their lives as a dog. So that is a dog suit. And you can see his very impressed wife. You know, are you supportive of your husband? Oh, oh, oh yes. Yes, he gets fed twice a day. And um, I don't even know he goes to the toilet in that thing. Probably just, probably just finds a tree or something. But, um, I don't even know what this guy's about. I don't even <laughs> And there's like quarter litre bottles around his waist. Um, and then there's this one here. This guy's dressed himself in meat. Because that's what you do if you want to look musclier. So he might be just a skinny guy, but he's like, I want to be muscly. So what's the best thing to do? Well, you could go to the gym, or you could cover yourself with 40 pounds of beef and bacon. You know what I'm saying? We're made in the image of God, but, but often we try and form our own image. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I'm going to leave the meat guy up there because he looks pretty cool. You know... Back to the prodigal son story. Did you notice something about the prodigal son? So sons, both of them, because they were both prodigals in their own way. Both were living just in really weird ways. Did you notice that when they came back to the father, he didn't say, get off them, spirit of blah, 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 blah. Did you notice he didn't do that? You can cast out a spirit of orphanhood, but not an orphaned heart. An orphaned heart can have a spirit on it that can cause you to do dumb stuff. And you can get some deliverance for that and cough in the bucket and spew and whatever happens for you in that deliverance space. Fall over on the ground. But then what happens is you get back up and about three weeks later, you're back to the same old, same old because you had an orphan heart. The spirit can jump on that. But you see, what you needed, what you needed was a restoration moment of understanding and experiencing the goodness of God. That's what they needed. It was still a deliverance. But it was a deliverance of love. And we go out on the street. I have actually prayed for people out on the street. Uh, I, I generally don't cast things off people on the street. There is a scripture around why that is. But often we bind things on the street. You will come across spiritual stuff all the time. You meet all sorts of people. I met a warlock one day. He's a really nice guy. I met a girl who actually said to me, she's a witch. I said, oh, that's good. She said, it's okay. I'm a white witch. I'm a good one. And I'm like, dude, you don't understand the spirit realm at all, do you? But that's okay. We can talk about what the spirit realm looks like. And we start to explain to them what the spirit realm looks like. We always say to them, the spirit realm looks like one thing. And it's actually the meaning of life. Do you guys want to know what the meaning of life is? Because a lot of people don't know, even Christians. 1 John 4, 8 is the meaning of life. God is love. 1 Corinthians 13 says, without love, it's all a waste of time. Everything. So the meaning of life is love. God is love. The nature of the spiritual realm is love. Anyway, I'm going to finish up the message on this next little piece here. I've got this thing, that guy with the meat. He's done a really big quad workout. That's these ones up here. You see that there? <laughs> anyway, it looks really quite staunch. Now, I've got this here that you cannot read, and um, unless you've got really good vision. <laughs> and we can pray for your eyes. I, I was going to hand these out for everyone, but you know what? I don't want your focus to be on a piece of paper right now. I want your focus to be on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want your focus to be on the presence of the Lord right now. I want your eyes to be closed if you want to or open if you want to. I really don't care. Um, Please just put your phones down. If you're texting, don't text. Just listen to this. Because there is something that happens in an orphan heart that does not exist in the heart of a son who is going to grow to become a father. There is something that happens. 
Now, if you don't know the way an orphan thinks and you don't know the way a son thinks, then you're not gonna realize where you've slipped into the hole. Does that make sense? Okay. When you can see the hole, you can go, oh my goodness, that is where I stuffed up. That Actually, that's me. I'm the orphan in this area. Is that good? So I'm gonna read out. So we've got on the left column, I've got the heart of an orphan. On the right column, I've got the heart of a son, the way they think. And in the middle, I've got a bunch of points about life. And we've got image of God, dependency, our theology, our security, need for approval, all these things. And attached to them is how an orphan thinks, and attached to them is how a son thinks. And I've got the handouts that you can grab afterwards, so don't worry. You don't have to remember it all. Is that cool? Okay, I'm going to shake it off. Let's see what we've got. Let's just read through some of this. Tune in. We may not get through them all, but we'll get through some. In the image of God, how you see God. An orphan sees God as a master that has to be obeyed. A son sees God as a loving father, a loving father like the one in the story you just heard. Independency on God, an orphan is completely independent and self-reliant. That's it. I'm independent, I'm self-reliant, I'm a self-made man, I'm a self-made woman. Self, this, no, nothing you have is what you have without God first giving it. Nothing. And he's written more checks than you've ever cashed, by the way. So you haven't even got your full measure yet. But a son is interdependent. They depend on others and they acknowledge their need. You know, for me to ask for people to give to my ministry took me a year to even ask because I didn't feel worthy. When people gave to me, I had to apologize. Oh, sorry that, what am I saying sorry for? I mean, because I was such an orphan in the era of the way people saw me. Had no value. I thought humility was thinking that I'm a scumbag in the pit. But I didn't realize that humility was just thinking of yourself less and thinking of others more. In theology, us orphan lives by the love of the law. It's all about the law. Who sinned? Where? A son, it's about the law of love. And they say, son, let me walk with you. Why, why is this sin there? Let's walk together to work this through. Are you hearing me? I don't want, it's all right, we all had, we've all had some, I've had some, but let's, I help you walk through yours as God helped me walk through mine. Security. Well, orphans are just insecure most of the time, and they lack peace. They have to, they have moments of peace in their week, but most of the time it's not there. But to the heart of a son, they have rest and peace as part of their walk with God. I'm not saying they don't get stressed. I'm not saying they don't have moments, but they have learned how it is to turn a moment to the king. You know, need for approval. Orphans strive, praise for approval and acceptance of man. But for sons, they're totally accepted in God's love and they're just justified by his grace. It's just your grace, God. You know, this door's gonna open by your grace, not by me forcing it, not by my, my me jimmying it with a, with a crowbar, but by your grace. If you want me here, you will make a place for me. Amen? Motive for service. Well, I need to serve so that I can, so others can see me, so that God and all others can see me. Or I have no motivation at all to serve. I have nothing. I'm empty. But for a son, service is motivated by a deep gratitude for being unconditionally loved by God. I, I'm, not, I'm not here to impress my, my pastors. I'm not here to try and get another notch in my belt for, for the senior leader of our movement. I'm here because, man, alive, I'm married to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the reason I make my wife breakfast in the morning because I love her and I want to know that she, do you know what I'm saying? 
yeah, 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 yeah. But if I'm an orphan, I, I, get, my, I get my wife breakfast because maybe I can get something tonight. You know, maybe I get my, maybe, I'm serious, this is what I mean to think sometimes. You know, and um, I did, I'm a man, I thought like that, I'll be honest. You know, maybe as an orphan, you say, oh, I'll do this for, to get that. You know, uh, it's just orphan thinking. But when you're a son, I do it because I really love you. I really want to do something. And if you don't feel that love, sometimes you've got to step into something and, and you're allowed to fake it till you make it. Is, is that okay? You may not have that heart. You may think, man, I sort of struggle with, you know, but the coffee roster's on, I might put my name. Yeah, you know, when you take a step, love actually grows. It's the craziest thing. I love my wife more now than I did years ago, and I thought I loved her heaps then. Because love grows. You haven't got just a measure of it, and it slowly dies over the years. If it does, then I'm sorry, you're not stewarding your sonship well enough. If your love grows, it blossoms, and if it's not, then it's like, okay, marriage calls time. It's, you share that with others, and we all help to grow to, to grow this thing. Are you, am I preaching anyone this morning? Yeah. Motive behind Christian disciplines. It's all about duty. It's all about earning God's favor. You know, I've got to get his favor. Look, you already had his favor when you received Jesus. You already had it. In fact, before you received Jesus, you had it, because he said, while you were still a sinner, he said, I loved you and sent my son for you. So his desire was for you before your desire was even for him. Motive for purity, I must be holy, I must be. And there's just this increasing sense of guilt and shame on, on an orphan all the time. But you see, for a son, I wanna be holy. I don't wanna do anything to break my intimacy with God. You know? And so if I have a problem, I've got an issue. I go to where's I said, dude, I'm struggling with this thing. He said, okay, brother, well, you know what I'm saying? You know? Religion says, hide your sin and present the good man. Thank you very much. And as long as we all do that, we'll all do very well. And what happens is you'll end up creating a religious persona that looks at the world and goes, well, he's doing that, and he's drinking too much, and he's watching something he shouldn't be watching, and all this, and they stand up on your, on your ice castle in the sky with your Bible, where actually the Lord's saying, would you go down there and get among the people and actually start to realize where I bought you from? I forgave you of the inexcusable. Now forgive the inexcusable in others and release life to them. Amen. I'm going to have to, we, we need to finish up. So I'm going to jump down the list a little bit here. Um, our condition, um, down the bottom, uh, to an orphan, it's all about bondage. I'm just bound. I'm just tied up. I'm just, I'm a victim and life is just, is on me. But, but the condition of a son is I have liberty. And I understand I may not have the liberties that I want right now, but I know that actually I've got to look at my life differently. If you can't change something about your life, then you need to change the way you think about something in your life. You understand? all a thinking problem, you know? Some of it's spiritual, but the spirit often gets on our thinking more than that you have a demonic thing. Occasionally you do. Position, feel like a servant, slave, that's all I am. But no, a son, it's a son and a daughter. A vision, this is a big one. Vision, especially for ministries, you know, ministry people and people that are called to stuff. Spiritual ambition, uh, the earnest desire for some spiritual achievement and distinction and the willingness to strive for it, to desire to be seen, that I can be counted among the mature. <laughs> that's how an orphan thinks. But, but a son, I daily experience the father's conditional love. That's what I'm after. And then to be sent as a representative in love. Every single thing on this orphan page, me. I, I read through that, me. I, everything on that side. I, I had to read the other column and go, Father God, help me here to, to stop that and create that. Can you start reading this list and w realize that the prodigal sons, why they had their issues? You can start to go, man, I can actually see in that why. And if they had a son's heart, they would have been able to become fathers real quick. The big one I find for orphans is this, is they fight for what they can get. Where a son, 
releases your inheritance for others and helps them grow. You know, and I, I'm in the business world as well, although I've stepped back from some of those duties. I still see it in the business world. It's all about profit margins. It's all about taking over the business. It's all about just crushing another one under your head so that you can actually get to that gold prize. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way at all because sonship releases you into your inheritance. Some businesses don't realize, they don't have a heart of God, that that prize was always theirs. It was always gonna be theirs. But they saw it and they fought for it. Where if they, they saw it and loved for it, God would have risen them to the top of the pile instead. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm gonna cease there for the moment. I think we've done enough on that, but I just wanna encourage you today. Maybe um, the music could come. Someone musical, someone who can play something music, musical. Uh, here is our capoeira dancer. Do a couple of moves for us, brother, <laughs> before you um, play that, play that, um, that song there. You know, there's, this, this in a, there's going to be time in ministry this morning, but this is what you're going to do. About five years ago, uh, I was at national conference with Russell Evans, who's the, the, he's the, like the um, founding or, or senior leader of Planet Shakers Church in Australia, largest youth movement in Australia, something like 30,000 youth in their church network. And he said, I'm going to read that out. I'm going to read it. And there's copies there. Come and grab one if you want. So I'm going to read it out. And he read it out and it was pretty cold and pretty sort of, it wasn't like inspired. He just read it. And then he said this, he said, anybody who had anything in this message that made your heart turn today, anything in that list about an orphan, anything at all, if there was one thing that you said, yeah, I gotta be, that's me. He said, I'm gonna get you to stand up today. And I was sitting by Wes. Wes was sitting right beside me. And he said, everyone's gonna close their eyes and you're gonna stand Nothing more. I'm not going to call you up to, or I'm going to just, just stand. And I sat there with my eyes closed, thinking I'm not standing up because everyone will know. And everyone will know some stuff. Then I heard shuffling of chairs. I saw one person had the gumption to stand up. I thought, oh man, that sucks to be them right now. But, but I'm not going to stand up. I'm not going to stand up because I don't need to stand up because God's already working on me while I'm sitting down. It's totally cool. I don't stand up. Don't stand up. Don't stand up. Totally cool. Totally cool. Totally cool. And then someone else stood up beside me. That's cool. They can stand up because they need it. I don't need it. I don't need it because I've got it all together. I've got it fine. I'm a leader in the church. I'm okay. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Blood of Jesus covers me. I'm good. And uh, then someone else stood up and I'm like, man alive, I really want to stand up. I don't know why, but I really want to stand up. And then uh, then um, I started to stand up and I thought, man, my goodness, I'm standing. I'm going to do it. Look at this. Everyone's looking at me, but no one was looking, but it was just what I felt in my heart. And I stood up and I stood up. And now my chest was burning, my head was burning, and I was going, oh, this really, this really, this isn't so bad. Now I'm up. It's not so bad once you're in, you know, like the pool. It's not so bad once you're in. I'm up there. The, but that day, what happened was, is that something broke off me. It was the day that marked my journey from being an orphan while I was a leader, even in church. And I could not raise men and women to be sons, let alone fathers. One day, my I was complaining to God as I often did. I still complain to him occasionally, he's good with it. But, um, you know, but I, um, I complained that when I grew up, I didn't have a dad take me to church. I didn't have a loving father to tell me, but read the Bible to me. I didn't have any of that. All these other people they had, I didn't have that. And the Lord just said to me, Alistair, what are you going to do for your son? That's what he said. What are you going to do for your son? You might not have a child here today. You might not be a mother and a father even. But I want to tell you something. I want to tell you this. That every child that walks through that door is looking for a mother and father in this house. And will you be that person or will you not be that person? So close your eyes if you would, please. Holy Spirit, just speak to them now. 
But if there is one thing on that orphan list that spoke to you this morning, just one thing, turn the lights down if you would, please. I just want to give someone just a little bit of privacy at least. Okay, um, turn the lights down. Yeah, if anything spoke to you on that list today, stand up for me. Just stand up. Just stand up. Be honest. By the way, I'm standing. You noticed I was standing through the whole message? It's because I'm still working on a lot of stuff. I'm still working on a lot of stuff. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe you've a backslidden a little bit in your faith. Maybe you feel like I'm the same Christian I was five years ago as I am now, and I'm really not liking that. And I've been thinking maybe I've got to move church, or maybe I've got to move that, or maybe I've got to do this, or this, maybe this church isn't feeding me. I'm going to tell you something. It is, the, it is the word of an orphan that says that this church doesn't feed me. Because how many know that if you're fathered and you allow fathering to happen to you, you'll learn to feed yourself. I'm not talking about being self-sufficient. I'm talking about that you'll have the ability to be able to hear from the Father. When I do prophetic workshops, so that you can hear from the Father. When, I, when we fast to preachers, so that you can learn to hear from the Father. But an orphan tries to run everywhere else because maybe I'll get fed there. No, you'll get fed when you learn to be a son and a daughter. And then, so if that's you, you're back, so you stand up today. Just stand up. Thank you for standing up. If you're lacking peace in your life, stand up. And I'm going to leave, I'm going to give 30 seconds now for you to stand up in a second. And keep your eyes closed and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. There's a scripture in Jeremiah 12. It says this. God says this. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with the horses? And if in the land of peace which you trusted and that wearied you, then how are you going to survive in the floodplain of the Jordan? What it's saying is this. God's saying to Jeremiah, I see the horses that you have been called to run with. I've seen the horses. And yet in the place of peace that you're not even there yet, that is, that is causing you to turn back or turn away. Then how are you going to walk in the floodplain of the Jordan when all blessing is poured out and the floodgates are down? How are you going to run in that place? Father says, I'll show you how to run. I'll lead you to being a son and a daughter. And then you'll know how to manage what you say no to, what you say yes to. Not being an obligation to everything, but learning how to gain your strength back. But if you want to run with your horses and you feel like you're footmen of, even the footmen of wearied you, the people that just chomp at the back, maybe you stand up today. But you want to run with the horses this morning. Well, there's going to be a minister in happening up here this morning. And um, that's not because I need a notch in my belt. I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for you that you get a connection with the Father this morning. If you stood up, you stood up because something was spoken to you today. Not because of my eloquent words, but the power of the Spirit was moving in this room this morning to bring a change in you. And you're experiencing the same thing that I experienced five years ago. A shift from being an orphan to a shift to being a son so that I can grow to be a mother and a father in the faith. I can be a mother and a father in my household, that I can be realized that whoever's in my midst, I am there to grow, not to cut down, but to raise up. Not about my needs being met all the time, but how can I meet others' needs? Because in that place, those who refresh others will be refreshed themselves, as you know that scripture. But if you're always seeking for everyone else to refresh you, you won't have any refreshing from the Father because you've cut off the flow. And the Father says, don't cut it off.